All right, we are on page 25. We did not get nearly as far as we should have last week, uh, but that's okay because we had a great time talking about the pastoral, pro- the, the process of bringing a pastor into, ha- into a church, uh, what God's word says about qualifications for pastors, uh, what expectations there should be on pastors, and uh, you guys had a lot more interest in that, and so we went with that for quite a while. Uh, and looked at some bad practices as well, not bad, but unbiblical practices that we have. Well, that would make them bad, wouldn't it? Um, Extra biblical, I guess as long as it's not against scripture, uh, I tolerate it, but um, we want to be as biblical as possible. So we talked about this fourfold cooperation in the selection of a pastor, that you have God having to call them, You have them having to respond to that with a desire to become bishop. Uh, And again, God does not call unqualified people to be pastors. And that even if that, but he does, but called pastors can become unqualified, okay? So God doesn't call unqualified people to be pastors, but called pastors can become unqualified. Okay, that's... We need to recognize that, that there are two ways, two negative ways to view that and to understand that. And then we saw that the uh, uh, element of the uh, church leadership, that the other elders should have, the other pastors uh, should have some influence there, some impact, as well as the church recognizing that authority. They should be, at some point, the church acknowledging these are, this is our pastor and pastors. We didn't really get into the applications for the church too much. Um, so let's just begin there as a review. And uh, then we'll get into deacons, membership, and then hopefully church discipline. I don't expect to spend much time here, but other than review. Because what applies to the pastor um, un- almost completely applies to the deacon. But we don't treat it that way. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, but for the implication and application to the church, uh, when we have God provides us pastors, elders, bishops, uh, the scripture tells us to follow their examples. That's in First Timothy. Uh, to be an example, you cannot be an example without an expectation of people following your example. And then Paul tells them as well, follow my example to the Thessalonians, Corinthians, and others. You should obey the leadership, obey them that have rule over you. And we talked about rule as one of the, of the uh, responsibilities of the pastor, what that rule entailed and what it did not entail last week. Uh, we also to examine them, that as they teach, we are to be attentive and to compare what they teach to God's word. That they do not have carte blanche uh, authority in that area. That if they get skewed in their teaching, that that should be something the church addresses and not just waiting for it to get worse and worse, but address it right away. And we should examine them and their teaching. And not only their teaching, but their lives. And as we said, uh, they need to be qualified to become pastors, and they need to stay qualified as pastor, which means you need to continue to look into their lives. Are they still uh, qualified in that respect? And then we should heed their instruction, their admonition. Uh, it, they're there for your good. For your benefit, God put them there. They, if they are qualified, they're not doing it for money. They're not doing it for, 
for uh, large, enlarging their, themselves, their own name, their ministry. They're there for your help. Uh, they're there for your spiritual vitality. And therefore, uh, you should heed their instruction. And uh, we have that in Scripture as well. Uh, and also that it makes their job easier if you do. Uh, and you should make that, uh, those that help, you should help those that want to help you. All right, by simply following along and, and, and uh, allowing that ministry to affect you. And then you should pray for them multiple times uh, throughout Paul's letters. He says, pray for us, pray for us, pray for us on, on very many different levels, uh, that the gospel will go out quickly, that we be protected from, from people within the church that, that uh, uh, are creating division and problems. Pray for us for safety, pray for... Uh, for the gospel to go out, uh, that we might be faithful to the gospel. So Paul asked for prayer, and we should be praying for our pastors. And pretty much most all of this uh, is tied to their responsibilities. And if they have these responsibilities, that we should be responding to them, recognize that these are divine things and not humanly contrived. And this is not an org, uh, a corporation of... of uh, man-made rules, but rather it is this organization of God that he has granted to us. So that's a review, a good opportunity to review what we studied last week with regard to that office. We have a second office that we describe in the scripture. We really focus in on just a handful of, of passages for this, Acts 6, and then as well as 1 Timothy 3. You'll see a reference there in Romans 16 regarding the giftedness. But deacons, the word deacon simply means servant. Uh, and so we have this role of deacons. And uh, let's go to Acts 6, uh, which is the historical event of their selection. But in, within the description of that historical event, we have some of what we should expect from our deacons in terms of qualifications. In Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, there's a problem, of course, in the church, imagine that. We often think the early church was perfect and had no problems, but they certainly did. And uh, there was um, racism. Right? That was the accusation that the, that the Hebrew uh, widows were being treated differently than the, the Greek widows. And so... The 12, rather than discarding it, said, well, we're going to address it. Verse 3 is their solution. Brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas and Nicholas, the proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and, many, and great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So, we have this selection process, and most of us identify that these were the earliest deacons, and in fact, that that um, moniker on them, that title that they carried, they carried the rest of their lives, much later in the book of Acts, we're going to see one of these men identified as one of the seven, one of the original seven deacons, and he still carried that later on. And so when we, when we talk about this place, we have what the 
what, what are we looking for? Well, we're looking for men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And they are appointed by the church leadership with the church's help. Remember what this process is. You bring us seven men. <laughs> so from among you, bring them to us. So they're by your selection, is by your nomination, if you will, and then we will appoint them. And so essentially what they're doing is we have a responsibility before God to, be, to rule a church, but in this area, this isn't our, our, doesn't, shouldn't require direct oversight, and we have these servants of the church that are there to care for the business of the church. And that that should be their primary it is certainly not the only thing they're doing, right? So we see, obviously, Stephen, the first deacon listed there, that has a powerful preaching ministry that is active in the Hellenist uh, groups. By the way, all seven of these men have Hellenist names. They have Greek names, which uh, is an interesting solution. So if somebody says that, and then you just put up uh, those individuals that resolve that problem. And so... The Greek widows said the Hebrew widows being treated better. Well, let's put some Greek men in there. And, and now you can't make that claim against all. Remember, all the, all the disciples, all the apostles were all Hebrew men. So now you have uh, seven Greek men joining them in ministry. And so we have that, that uh, wonderful response that the people gave. The apostles set them to their task. But we have them of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, and of wisdom. These are the three uh, that Peter put forward there, the apostle put forward there that day. And then we can add to that Paul's instruction in 1 Timothy and the development of that. And in 1 Timothy 3, uh, another passage you should be pretty familiar with, we have the expectations are going to very sound very much like the expectations for pastors because... Their leadership, and leadership should all have a standard, and it shouldn't be different. There aren't different standards, really, for deacons and pastors. There's different giftedness, there's different roles, but not different standards of life and practice. So likewise is the first word in verse 8 of 1 Timothy 3, which means what? Just like the list we just found about pastors, likewise, they should be about deacons. And here, we're, and just in case there's any question, you have to be reverent, uh, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with pure conscience, uh, which is comparable up there to uh, not, uh, uh, I'll think about it, not a novice, there we go, not a novice in the other text that we know the, our faith. Let those, these also be first tested, and then let them serve as deacons being found blameless. That term is there. Likewise, their wives uh, must be reverent, not slanders, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own house as well. Those who serve well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So we have an expectation particularly interesting that we have more emphasis on the deacon's wife than the pastor's wife. That she has perhaps a more substantial role in terms of fulfilling his ministry 
Not that my wife doesn't, not, the pastor's wife doesn't, but it is more emphatic here in this list. For certainly, when you come to the list of pastors up here, you don't really see a lot about his wife, other than the fact that he is to rule his house well, he is to be the husband of one wife, and that uh, he is to have his uh, children's submission. But you don't see a lot about his wife, but yet, well, to the deacon we do. And the idea here is that the deacon and his wife will uh, more fully serve together than perhaps the pastor and his wife. And that sounds bizarre to you, but my, my wife is not going to share my pulpit ministry, correct? <laughs> I know there's some churches out there that's going on, but I think this list specifically disassociates that. You, this is a ministry, the pastoral ministry is different from the deacon ministry in that it, it, it is not shared with his wife. And so a lot of people assume that everything I hear from you, I tell to my wife, and that's just not the case. Uh, first of all, I, I want her to serve on a very different level than that. Um, and so I don't want it to be tarnished, her ability to minister to people by things I might be privy to that she doesn't need to be. And, uh, and, and that would affect her ministry because primarily she's going to want to defend me. And that's not healthy um, because um, I know it's because she loves her husband, but it's not healthy for her ministry. And so to protect that, we find the wife having a smaller role or even, a, a, it's not even mentioned, right? Under the, under, other than the fact that you're to be a husband of one wife and that he's going to rule his household well. But when we get to the deacon, we have the wife mentioned. For this reason, some churches have deacons and deaconesses. Um, but uh, but the text is very obvious that the deaconess is the wife of the deacon. Okay, That's pretty often. His wife, uh, his, the deaconess. And so uh, she has a role in his work more predominant than the pastor's wife has in the pastor's work. Why? Because of the nature of his work. He's meeting needs of people in the church, the material needs, and his wife can be an uh, asset to that, uh, particularly when you're dealing with widows, which is what the original issue was, right? Dealing with widows. And so, really good. Have your wife involved there. And, um, and dealing with these material things that, that uh, uh, Proverbs 31 kind of wife could assist in and would assist in. And so we have very much these uh, descriptions. And so they are to serve, they are to support the pastor, uh, the people are to bring them forward, and then appointed or approved by the leadership of the church. We see their qualifications. And so how do you respond to your deacons? Well, um, when they, they can't always uh, address every need, so we should make ourselves available. We are one of... As we view ourselves as a resource of the church, then the deacon should be able to tap you as a resource. And so if I'm a plumber and he knows this gal over here needs a plumber, then he can tap you to be that plumber uh, and whatever else. And so uh, we should make ourselves available for them. And remember, the distribution to the widows in Acts 6 was from the giving of the church. And so the deacons didn't, just didn't, it wasn't them providing or supplying all the provisions. It was them managing what the church provides. And so we should make our resources available to 
uh, our deacons. And so, and, and by the way, uh, a lot of churches have, you have to have so many deacons. Uh, and I was in a church that uh, had a requirement for the number of deacons, and so you had to have all these offices filled. And our church is purposely not set up that way because it creates a problem. What's the problem if you have a dictated number of deacons? Yeah, we have to have so many people to fill this office. What if you don't have that many people qualified? Now, you might take issue right now because right now in our church we have one deacon. And we've had as many as four, I think, in the past. We had seven deacons once? No. We've had seven different men. Five. Five at one time, maybe. But, but we did have them rotating on and off, so maybe. Anyway, um, you know, I said, we're one deacon. Oh, well... These seven deacons, how large was the church by the point of them selecting seven deacons? Do you know? Anybody want to hazard a guess? Thousands. Thousands. Seven men to oversee thousands that came to know Christ. And many more at the end of chapter 6. Remember, after they selected the deacons, it says they multiplied, they multiplied even more. And so don't get the idea that we need one deacon for every ten families or something, or put some ratio in there in your mind. Seven deacons oversaw a church of thousands. And that was, the, the apostles felt that was sufficient. And there's no evidence that they added to that number. Uh, but it also, uh, I would contend that if you have that many deacons, you probably have that many deacons' wives engaged as well in that activity and ministry. So, do the deacons have ministry beyond that of serving the material needs of the church? Certainly they can if they are gifted in that area, and Stephen is an example. Uh, but their role as deacon is to serve the material, physical, natured needs of the church. And we should be making our resources available to them and to distribute that. Any questions on deacons? Yeah, you could also be hindering from, if you have too many qualified, if you have more people qualified, let them serve. If you want to, uh, that's okay too. You know, put them to work. And if we have sufficient qualified or more qualified, we should engage them. Uh, the, the whole tenor of ministry in the church, which we talked about, member minister a few weeks ago on the previous page, was that we all have a bodily, a function in the body. And... Um, and we're foolish not to engage every body part to its highest potential. And there's a lot of couch potato churches. Right? What happens when you're couch potato? All those muscles that could accomplish so much become flabby and weak. And... How do you get that way? By not exercising. And so it's through exercising we tone our muscles, we get strong, we're using them, we, and, and our body is capable of doing incredible things if we treat it right. Okay? And the body of Christ is similar. We need to exercise our faith, not just sit around and talk about it, put it into practice. Good. Member ministers is the next thing. And again, uh, the deacons have responsibility to the pastors. The deacons have responsibility to the member ministers, just as the pastors have responsibility to Jesus and to the deacons and the member ministers. 
And so we find here that we are to minister to one another, and we talked about that a lot in the previous page. Uh, we talked about the, the God choosing to place us together into a church family. Uh, the personal faith is required, and that, that every member should be a believer. Um, in some church traditions, the membership is a big, big deal, and, and uh, they kind of fudge some things just to increase the membership. But if you're not a saved individual, you shouldn't be a member of a church. The church should make sure you have a clear testimony and are uh, backing that testimony up with uh, life that evidences it, that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Um, we should also seek ministry. Every member should seek out. The idea of sitting back and waiting for someone to ask you is foolishness. Uh, we are certainly, we talked about spiritual gifts, that we have a requirement to find that in each other, to to explore that together uh, rather than someone crawling off into a hole and jumping out and says, look, I'm, I've got all these gifts because I took this little quiz, um, that this is something we discern together uh, by watching each other in ministry. Uh, but you are to seek out ministry. And I see, a, uh, when, I, when I talk and nobody asks me, is my, nobody asks me. I'm like, so? Nobody asked me either, but I saw something needed to be done, and I got it done. Uh, the idea of nobody asking me is a very selfish view of ministry. I have no responsibility unless they ask me to. No, our responsibility is to see a need, and if God has put that burden upon us to meet that need and address that need, uh, but not in, uh, not in an isolated way. It's not, I'm going to do this. And it's your perceived need that maybe doesn't even really exist. And I've had to deal with that too, the other extreme, right? And so they perceive this need, they're out there doing it, whether you think it needs to be done or not. And it actually ends up being a, a, an injury to the ministry of the church because it's not with the church. It's me doing my thing. Uh, and that's not appropriate. So we seek ministry within the context of what the church is doing, in the unity of the church, and then we seek to address needs in the church, but we don't do it in isolation. We do it in, in, as, a, as a body of Christ. We do it together and identify that and engage in that. And then the premise of this is that we are a royal priesthood. And that's in Hebrews. It's also there in, in Peter that we're going to be getting to. The priesthood of the saints is the premise of this. And so in the priesthood, if you know anything about the priesthood in Israel... Uh, did all the priests have the same job? No, but they were all priests, which means they came out of the tribe of, out of the family of Aaron. Okay, so the Aaronic priesthood out of the Levitical uh, system. So not every Levite was a priest, uh, and so there were Levites, and then they were priests, which are the family of Aaron. And so we have the priests, though, were broken down into various responsibilities that they had uh, with regard to the service of the temple. And so as a priesthood, we all have that commitment to be in that ministry to one another on some capacity. And uh, there are, there's the high priest, and there's the priest that I'm sure... Uh, that their job was to 
skin those animals. How would you like that as your priestly job, is to skin animals? But that had to be done every day, all day long. Uh, so don't, we get the idea that priests were always walking around and very, <laughs> and, uh, you know, we're just uh, like clergy members, you know, with a taut collar and, and walking around and only taught. No, the priests, some priests were musicians because there were musician requirements. There were some priests that were washers and, and some that tended the fires and some that tended the, you know, the, the sacrifice, some that took out the entrails and had to dump those out in the, in the uh, garbage heap and things like that. So there was all these kinds of responsibilities. There were, there were men that had to bake. There were men that had to make incense. They, this was their job. Um, because there was a special recipe for all those things that was the temple recipe, and you couldn't fool with it, and you couldn't use it at home either. It was only for the temple. Um, and so uh, they had that, so people were doing those kinds of jobs. They, were, they had to provide wood for the fire. They had to, you know, we see Samuel doing some of those things, running around to understand what service. So as a priesthood, we all have responsibility around the worship of God together. And so every member is a minister. So we have the, and so therefore, not only do the members have deacons to engage, pastors to engage, but ultimately, because every member is a minister, Jesus Christ is the head of every member. So it's not a hierarchy that it's Jesus, pastors, deacons, members. I know that's in the chart, but that big line over on the other side is to have an arrow going up because you have direct access to the head. Just because you're not in the next line down doesn't mean that that line is superior. It has different function, but we all are tied into the head Jesus Christ. And by the way, the two lines at the bottom should have arrows pointing to each other. Because we have responsibility to each other as well, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. All right, if you have no questions, we're going to head into church discipline, which is the main thrust of tonight. Any questions or comments or discussion points? <clears throat> yeah, in some places they won't let you be a pastor unless you are married. They interpret husband and wife as a directive, not as a, uh, a one-man kind of woman, or one-woman one kind of man. And so, in, in, and so like in India, they won't call you a pastor until you're married. Uh, is that necessary for deacons? Um, to a degree, it is difficult to evaluate a man's capacity to lead because the primary place for us to watch his leadership is in the home. That doesn't mean he doesn't have the capacity to lead. It simply means we, have, we don't really have a good venue to examine his capacity to lead. And remember, that's really what it focuses on, that we're going to look at his home life to say, well, does he rule his home well? You know, are his children in submission? And by the way, uh, children is not 18, it's more like 12 or 13. So I don't look at rebellious teenagers and decide whether that disqualifies a pastor or deacon. Because biblically, you're not a child anymore. And that's why they have that. And uh, if you keep your up to 13, 14, somewhere. I know different cultures have different ages. The Hispanic culture, it's 15. Um, in Jewish culture, it's 12. Um, others, it's 13 when you hit your teens. Uh, but that passage into uh, 
adulthood. Um, now we're talking about 25 and 30 and silliness like that. No. Um, biblically, um, there's a really good argument for about 12, 13, which is probably uh, also the age of, of uh, 13, 14, 15, a lot of them getting married, uh, the women particularly getting married around that age. And, uh, but we cannot evaluate ruling their household well if they don't have a household. And so we have, if that's not the case, we have to have another, another venue, another, another environment to evaluate that in them before placing them into that office. So I'm not going to say you have to have a wife, but you certainly aren't going to have two wives <laughs> or divorced. You know, you aren't going to have the divorce. You're going to have that one wife and manage that household well. Good. What's missing out of this list? Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's a big issue. It's a big issue in this realm. And again, um, we have a society that allows people to be children way too long. Way, way. And, and recognize that in most cultures at 12, 13, you went out and got an apprenticeship job. You had your own income, and the expectation was that by, you know, that you'd be in your own house, household shortly thereafter. And, um, and that that culturally was where most cultures ended up, was about between 12 and 15, usually. We, in American, historically American culture, it was 16. Hence the sweet 16 parties. That's when you became a woman. The quinceanera, 15, you become a woman. And um, so we have those, those recognitions. And, of course, the bar mitzvahs at 12. And uh, the bat mitzvahs. Bar mitzvahs for the guys, bat mitzvahs for the girls in, in, in Jewish circles is at 12. And so um, when it says children, I look at your children when they're children. Now, when, I, when, when they're not children anymore, they're responsible for themselves, and so I don't use those to evaluate. There's one missing here, I think. How do we set up the offices of the church? By the, by, obviously, Jesus never said you shall have pastors and deacons. We have two offices listed here uh, in 1 Timothy. Do we have any others listed anywhere? Excuse me? Well, elders and bishops, we say are pastors. Pastors, elders, and bishops, we proved by four different passages last week that those are the same, that's the same office. So pastors, elders, bishops, and I know other church denominations like Presbyterians have different elders, ruling elders, uh, serving elders, and things like that. Um, but we see that all as one position. And so, but there is an office, I think, that the Bible describes because we have... Uh, List of what their job requirements are, list of what their qualifications are, uh, and an, a, a directive from an apostle to identify them. Who are they? No, not teachers. Ah, an, 
a woman's role, and this is the office of widow. And let's look at that in Titus. Let's look at that a little bit. Uh, was it Titus? Timothy. I'm sorry. Office of, of the widow. Oh, I didn't, I don't, I don't have it written down on my thing. I thought it was in, no, it's in, it's in 1 Timothy, verse five, chapter 5, I'm sorry. Why in my mind I just jumped to Titus. First Timothy chapter five. And uh, again, we have a, this is a, telling Timothy how to engage with people, and he says, you know, don't rebuke an older, older man except exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. Honor widows who are really widows. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents for this good and acceptable before God. So, uh, but now she who is really a widow and trust and left alone. So this is not a widow with children. No adult children. Because if she has children or grandchildren, they should take care of her. Uh, she was really a widow left alone, trusting God and continues to supplications and prayers night and day. Uh, but she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives, and these things command that they may be blameless. If anyone does not provide for his own, especially those of the household faith, household he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And so here we go, verse 9. Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number, and not unless she has been the wife of one man. Well reported for good works. If she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has di diligently followed every good work, but refused the younger widows, for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things that they ought not. Therefore I desire the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the advers adversary to speak reproachfully, for some have already turned aside after Satan. If any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them, and do not let their church be burdened, that it may be relieved those who are really widows. And uh, then we, we go back into some of the other passages that talks about some of their responsibilities, that they are supposed to tell the younger women. Now, the list of widows. We have this requirement for who is on our group of widows and there's a lot of discussion about, is this an office that should be in the church, or is it simply a ministry? Remember, what was the first problem that initiated the role of deacon? Was the neglect of widows. Okay, And so that still maintained the primary responsibility. And Paul tells Timothy, listen, you need to know who are the real widows and who are not, and who you should... Uh, invoke or, or bring into this. So if a gal comes in and she's a widow, and a really widow, that, <laughs> it's, a, it's a level of intensity uh, that she is left alone. And so she might have children. In fact, that's listed on there that she has raised her own children, but they have left her alone, either because she's a believer and they uh, are unbelievers and are, not, are neglecting their responsibility to her, or because of um, uh, death, uh, their, their children die, uh, and that happened in many cases, where, especially during times of persecution. Uh, and so 
the expectation is if we're going to care for these people and cover their needs, that we should have this expectation. But uh, we should, she should be well reported of. She should have been the husband of one wife. And uh, that is similar to what we saw before. And she has uh, this thing that she has lodged strangers, washed the saints' feet, relieved the afflicted, diligently followed every good work. That these are some of the expectations of these widows. And all these are, are heiress, so they're past tense with continuing action verbs. And so it's not that she did this in the past, but she did it and continues to do these kinds of ministries and that they, the church should have responsibility and should essentially hire her. That we should, we should care for all of her material needs so, and that she should minister in this fashion within the context or under the uh, umbrella of the church's care. And that is... Uh, not really a full office, and that's why we don't use it, but I think it is something that is neglected and avoided in our churches and should be better addressed. That, because this is really the primary uh, role of the deacons in terms of, of chronology. It's the first task they had, and it was emphatic here in First Timothy that we have a very clear designation of what a widow is. That she has to be a certain age, she should be 60 years old or older, uh, or else she's liable to get married again. <laughs> okay? So, um, it's all downhill after 60, you know, it's interested you. It was different for Sarah and Rachel back in the Old Testament. They were still gorgeous at 100, um, but we don't live there anymore. And so, after 60, the likelihood of them getting remarried is pretty remote, but it's not impossible, so it's, it's happened, it's happening a lot. And so, um, but the idea here is that, we, that she has a responsibility. And so, uh, this is a, a designated group that I think churches neglect. And we should have a list, we should have a role, we should have uh, remuneration. For the, that we should care for their material needs and, uh, and they should have these responsibilities and we have their, these requirements, these things, because we certainly don't want idle people or gossips or busybodies or things like that. And then we have the directive that if you're a young widow, you should get married again and have more kids. Okay. Let's go into church discipline now. We've got five minutes. Shall we just wait a week? Okay, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you again for your word, and we pray that we might be careful in our ministry of how we function in our church, that we reflect your word and its organization, that we do it in an orderly fashion. Lord, we know that our testimony of the world as the early church, Lord, we thank you for that testimony, that when they resolved a problem, it attracted people. And Lord, our prayers that we don't have problems, that we resolve them in a godly way. Help us to do that and have that testimony in the world that, we, that these people do it right, that they have a love and um, uh, a commitment to godliness. Lord, help our testimony in this community to be strong and that there might not be anything in the way we conduct our church that would keep anyone from hearing 
uh, the gospel message and from coming and joining with us. And, and we thank you again for the leadership that you have provided. And we pray you might continue to raise up additional to your honor, praise, and glory. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.